Well, welcome everyone. How you doing? Good to see you all here. Those of you joining in online, what a privilege it is to be connected with you as well, wherever you happen to be today. We're glad that you are connected with us. We're smack dab in the middle of this series that we've called Rules of Engagement. We're in part three of a four-part series, so we're all the way almost complete. It's amazing. So let's just do a little bit of a recap so far. The whole point of this series is to prepare ourselves for the reality of spiritual warfare. It exists in our world. We can't deny it. Whatever we end up bumping into tragedy, uh, chaos, unplanned, unexpected benefits, whatever that is, there is something behind it that we need to be ready for. Hence, our desire to be prepared for spiritual warfare whenever we encounter it. Part one, we talked about the battle in our mind. How do we win the mind games more often than we lose them? And what does it mean to offer our thoughts through willingness, through togetherness, through repentance, and then focusing on what is good, pleasing, and perfect about Jesus? Then on week two, part two, Pastor Jamie walked us through an incredible response to what it looks like to be prepared for the circumstances that happen in our lives that we maybe wouldn't even choose but yet happen to us. How do we respond in those moments? He talked about having a posture of prayer, about proclamation, and then about just really being worshipful, having praise at the core of who we are and, and responding in that way. And if, I, if you integrate those things, into your life on a daily basis, I'm telling you, you're going to be prepared for this reality of spiritual warfare. Today is all about fighting for connection. How many of you remember the world without internet? Yep, you're going to date yourself right here. All right, if you've put your hand up, you're probably north of 35, and that's a wonderful thing. Okay, if you're well north of 35, just say you're just, just welcome that you're in the north of 35 class, right? You're like, yay, I'm in that bracket. You know, like when they have all those brackets, I jumped a bracket this year. I jumped a bracket, right? When it says 41 to whatever, I'm like, man, I got to check a new bracket. Come on. It's a wonderful thing. I remember the world without internet. I remember the first time in my household when we got connected online. For those of you who have never grown up with a world uh, without internet, what it meant to have this first connection is you were dialed into the World Wide Web through your telephone line. Here's what it meant. If somebody would try and call you while you were trying to surf the web, you would get disconnected. You were fighting for connection all the time. You would tell your friends, do not call me from 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock. I'm going to be online. It's going to be amazing. And then if you happen to call somebody that was online, all you would get is like some faxing thing in response. And so like when my friends would tell me, don't call me, I was that guy. I called them 100%. I was like, no, 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 you've done this to me. I want you to feel the pain of being disconnected. It's kind of funny when I think about it, how I would spend my time trying to figure out how to fight for this connection, stay online, stay with the ability to to surf the web, to play online games, whatever I was doing in that moment. And it made me think about community. How many times when troubles come my way, do I fight to stay connected? Or do I just choose to unplug and disconnect? See, one of the things that we're going to discover together here today 
is that our enemy has an age-old strategy that he's never changed since the beginning of time. And that strategy is all about isolation. 100% isolation. If he can isolate you and I from one another, he can seek, kill, and destroy what his purpose is and to create chaos in our world. What we're going to do is we're going to look at a few verses from the book of 1 Peter. So if you've got a Bible with you in digital or analog form, paper form, turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 8 and 9. And if you've got the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, your mobile device, you can, you can open it and you can tap your way into the more section, the events section, and then you can get some insight into um, where we're headed and all of our fun little notes and sermon stuff happening right on that page there. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, they say this. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. Let me read that a second time. Let it, let's just let it soak in for a moment. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. If you've ever had the privilege of watching National Geographic and the African savanna plains, as they're watching these herds migrate from one space to another, inevitably you'll have had the opportunity to watch these big cats of prey stalking that herd. Do you know what they do, these big cats of prey? When they are looking for their next meal, they strategically try to isolate one animal from another, from the herd, so that they can devour it. That's the point. I mean, I'm a little bit sadistic, and so I actually, I actually like watching this kind of stuff because it's, it's intriguing to me. There are so many spiritual parallels. In 1 Peter kind of describes this to a T, exactly what happens that you and I experience when we engage and encounter spiritual warfare. The whole reality is our, and I've said it already, our enemy has this age-old strategy that he hasn't changed since the beginning of time. His goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's it. And whatever he offers, his goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. Kill, steal, destroy. What's interesting is over time, killing, stealing, and destroying seem to be alluring. The very first people that walked the planet, they were given a whole bunch of gifts by God. They were told not to do one thing. Do not eat the fruit from this tree. That was it. Don't eat the fruit from this tree. You can do anything else that you want. Just not this one thing. Along comes the enemy. And he says, did God really say right there, trying to kill, steal, and destroy? 
offering them something that wasn't his to offer, offering them what he calls a life worth living, but it's based and steeped in chaos and destruction. See, the reality is when we're engaged in spiritual warfare, sometimes it's hard to discern what the good and right and perfect thing is to do in the moment, what the good, right, and perfect response is in the moment. Sometimes the wrong response seems alluring. Man, if I cheat on this test, I'm going to get a lot better mark than if I just went from my own memory. Kill, steal, and destroy. What happens when you cheat? Your integrity goes to the crapper. You lose the opportunity to stand before your classmates and your teacher with 100% honesty and say, this was all me. You lose that opportunity. Seems good in the moment to get a 98 as opposed to an 89 or a 59. My friends, I'm saying that 98 is achievable even without cheating. So sometimes when we're faced with a decision, it might be a, a challenging one. It might be work-related or relationship-related. There are always multiple options on the table. And the enemy's posturing always points towards killing, stealing, and destroying. Always. It's an age-old strategy from the beginning of time. It does not change. Despite how alluring the opportunity might seem, it only leads to death and destruction. Always. Imagine being in a marriage relationship and one partner is unfaithful to the other partner. What does that create in that relationship? Joy? No. Excitement? No. Chaos. Imagine being faced with a challenge on how to respond to a tragedy in your own family. In all of those spaces that we happen to find ourselves, we have a choice to make. And that choice could be and should be to reject what the enemy is offering to us. Because his tactics, his tactics are really basic. The problem is too many of us dive right in and embrace them. That's the reality of spiritual warfare. So what do we do then? What do we do then when we uh, find ourselves engaged in spiritual warfare and we've made a wrong decision and man, we've, we screwed up our relationship, we screwed up an opportunity, we've messed up, now we're filled with what? Shame and guilt and all those things. And guess what that is? A form of isolation. See, if our enemy can continue to isolate us, he wins. Man, I can't go to church or I can't go to group or I can't even be honest about what I'm struggling with because if I am, nobody's going to like me, they're going to look down on me and they're going to whatever. And, and to be honest, let's be honest, as Christians, we judge way too much. Way too much. It's not even our job. And we walk around and we judge people. Ooh, I can't believe they're wearing that today. Mm. Can you believe that they went to that restaurant? Oh my goodness. Do they not know? 
Man, they use essential oils. They're crazy. Oh, that person's an anti-vaxxer. My goodness. Don't they know that Jesus is bigger than vaccines? Oh, that person took the vaccine. My goodness. Don't they know that Jesus is coming back and now they won't see him? Like all this crazy stuff. We laugh about it, but we do this all the time. And guess what that is? We embrace the enemy's tactics of killing, stealing, and destroying. We embrace it. We swallow it whole. We dive right in and we don't even know it. So what do we do? What do we do when that's the reality that so many of us, including myself, are in at times? We gotta fight for connection. And here's what that's gonna mean. That's gonna mean that we have to pursue forgiveness and reject bitterness. It's gonna mean we have to pursue forgiveness and reject bitterness. What is forgiveness? Have you ever thought about it? Like, what is forgiveness? It's building a bridge so you can move forward together. That's what forgiveness is. When Jesus died a gruesome death on the cross, For our sin, for my sin, for your sin, for our wrongdoing, for our propensity to embrace the tactics of the enemy, for that stuff. When he died for that, you know what he did? He built a bridge so that you and I can move forward with him in a relational connection to the creator of all things so that we would have a hope and a future for today and for tomorrow. If he did not do that, you and I would have no future. None. Forgiveness is building a bridge so we can move forward together. When you have been wronged by a friend, by a family member, what do you need to do? You need to forgive them. You need to build a bridge so you can move forward together. And there's two parts to forgiveness. There's the bridge builder and then the willingness to walk together over the bridge. You can control only one of those. Guess which one? The building of the bridge. You can offer forgiveness. You can offer forgiveness and be willing to build that bridge. And if that person does not want to walk across that bridge with you, you have done everything that you can to pursue forgiveness. But too many of us, instead of building a bridge, build a bungee cord apparatus. We want, to, we want, to, we want our, our wrongful partner, our, our person that's done the wrongdoing, to feel a little bit of exhilaration and excitement along the journey. We want to punish them a little bit. So we tie their feet to a big, long cord, and we push them off the cliff, and we go, ha-ha, see if you bounce back. And sometimes we forget to tie the cord. We embrace forgiveness. We embrace forgiveness. Because that's the posture that our Heavenly Father takes every single time that you and I fail. He offers forgiveness every single time. Forgiveness is not easy. Building a bridge is not easy. I'm not saying it is an easy thing to do. I'm saying that's what we have to do. If we're going to fight for connection, if we're going to fight to stay relevant with with one another, if we're going to fight to be who God has created us to be, then it's going to take some work and some effort, and it starts with forgiveness. And when we don't embrace forgiveness, bitterness takes root. And bitterness is the most toxic element in our world today, I believe, wholeheartedly. See, bitterness, when it gets rooted inside us, it distorts everything. 
It distorts everything. When somebody has wronged us in one way and we let that wrongdoing go unforgiven, all of a sudden we have this different mindset when we interact with people. We think that everybody is out to get us. We think that everybody's going to do the exact same thing. They're going to abandon us, abuse us, misuse us. They're going to betray our confidence. They're going to do all of these things. We believe that. That's a root in bitterness. Bitterness causes us to shield, to, to pull back, to refrain from connecting with other people because we do not want to be exposed. And then all of a sudden our language changes. Instead of hope and life and joy coming out of our tongue and off of our lips, things like gossip, slander, defamation of character, coarse joking, things that aren't even worth talking about start to become our primary vocabulary. Bitterness. It's all linked to that, and it's all linked to unforgiveness, an unwillingness to build a bridge. Back in 2009, we had two kids, just started a job at a new church. I was a youth pastor there. And we did, we went through some major um, shifting on our team over that first year. I was the only one left standing, myself and an intern, rebuilding the entire youth ministry. And during that time, there was a group of seven families that thought that they would be super helpful. And they wrote a letter to our board talking about how terrible I was. Talking about how I needed to be fired from my job, how I needed to be sent back to school, learning some leadership lessons, yada, 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 yada. Isn't that amazing? I remember being brought into the conversation by the board. And they're like, here's these seven families. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to build bridges with them. And so we want you to meet with them each individually and talk through their concerns and issues. Oh, oh, come on now. That doesn't sound like fun. I think I'd rather go bungee jumping without the cord attached. Right? That was such a great discipline to learn. Over the course of the next couple of months, I sat down with each of those individuals discussing their concerns and really identifying that it was all just miscommunication. See, at the end of the day, we found out that we had more in common about what our desires and hopes and dreams were for their children, for this youth ministry, than, than things that we didn't have in common. And so we built bridges. Guess what happened? Six out of seven of those families became advocates for our youth ministry moving forward. They got involved. They started helping serve in a variety of capacities. The one other family decided that, you know what, I don't think this whole church is for us, actually. And they decided to leave. Not because we didn't build a bridge with them, but because they chose not to cross that bridge. And so as I reported back to our board, they walked through this whole reality with me. It was like, oh, okay, so now, Jason, your work is to not remain bitter. Right? You've built that bridge of forgiveness. Now don't live in bitterness. If we want to fight for connection, if we want to have victory and triumph in spiritual warfare, we have to understand 
We have to be free to forgive. And we've got to reject the innate desire that it is to create bitterness based on how people did or did not treat us. That's hard work. That's really hard work. And it's really hard work when bitterness has started to build up already. What it means, we have to go back down to where bitterness started, that foundation, and we have to forgive. We've got to forgive ourselves. We've got to forgive God sometimes. See, sometimes we get bitter in our relationship with God. We're like, how can you let this happen? Many of you know, over this last week, my family and I have been walking through one of those situations. Our brother-in-law, Clinton, was killed in a workplace accident. Guess one of the questions that I asked God about. How could you let this happen? Right? That's a right question to ask. The work I have to do now is what? Not let that develop bitterness. Because God's ways are higher than my ways. He sees what I do not. He sees what you do not. He has a big master plan at play. A plan to give us a hope and a future, not only today, but in the next expression of life, in eternity. He's preparing us for those moments. And even in those sticky situations that we find ourselves that are rooted in spiritual warfare, we can have victory if we embrace forgiveness and reject bitterness. The third thing that we need to keep in mind is found in verse 9. I want to read this again. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. When spiritual warfare happens in your world, when the attacks come, you are not alone. All over the world, men and women of all different ages, of all different ethnicities, races, and creeds are experiencing similar things to you. And so it's important to have perspective because perspective is helpful. Again, our enemy, he's around to kill, steal, and destroy. And that expression of that is isolation. And so what he tries to allow us to think and believe is that whatever we're going through, we're the only one that has ever gone through it before. Nobody can help me. Isolation in your mind, isolation in your person, isolation in your experience. And Peter reminds us that all over the world, all over the world, people struggle just like us. Maybe their struggles are exactly the same. Maybe they're slightly different, but there are struggles. You know what there is in that? There's camaraderie and connection. In struggles. How many of us have lost someone we've loved before? We have something in common. How many of us have been hurt by a lie before? We have something in common. And we're in the same space. All over the world, there are people who have faced similar challenges to what you and I are facing right now here in this moment. You know what that means? We are not alone. Loneliness and isolation are things that 
we pursue individually. They are not true. You are not alone in your thoughts. You are not alone in your experiences. You are not alone in your mindset. You are not alone in your struggle. You're not alone in your addiction. You're not alone in your pain. You're not alone in the struggle that it is to forgive somebody that's done something horrendous to you. You are not alone. If we would remember and have that perspective that we're not alone, man, is that ever helpful. Man, is that ever helpful. Jesus promises that we will never be alone. Promises that he will be with us even to the end of the age, even to the end of things. He promises his literal presence, and then he also gives us a gift of being connected to a family. And sometimes families function really, really well, and sometimes they function poorly. That's where we have to forgive and reject bitterness. Now, pain is a reality in our world. I wish it wasn't. But we are promised that even in our pain, we're not going to be alone. So here today, here's what we are going to do. We're going to have an opportunity to pray for one another and with one another. At various points throughout Scripture, a community of people would come together and they would pray for somebody that was struggling. Somebody who needed physical healing, they would pray for that person. Somebody who needed spiritual healing or relational healing, they would pray for that person. And many times what they would do is they would also take a little bit of oil and anoint that person or just put a a drop on their, their person of some kind, right? Maybe it's their forehead, their arm, their knee, whatever. They would do that, not because the oil itself was magical, It was a symbolic way of saying, this is consecrated. This is set apart for what Jesus wants to do in the moment. So many times, we have yet to create a vocabulary for what we're experiencing in our struggle, in our battle, in the spiritual warfare that we're facing. We have not yet seen the victory. And so what we do through prayer and anointing is we invite Jesus into that space to bring the comfort that is needed, but also the perspective and the victory that is needed in that space. It is an absolute privilege to be able to intercede for one another in this way. In the book of James, it talks about gathering together a group of people to pray for those who are sick or hurting or lonely. It talks about that practice. And so we thought, what better moment than to do that right here, right now? See, many of us are in the middle of it. What is it? A spiritual battle. Might be with our physical self, our emotional self, our intellectual self, our spiritual self, whatever it is. We're in a battle. We're in a fight. And some of us, and some of us have invited people into that battle alongside of us already. But some of us haven't. Because we're afraid. Because we don't know how. Because we're concerned, whatever it is, the reason that is rolling around in our brains. So here today, we're going to put this all into practice. 
even those of you online. Here's what that's going to look like. In this space here physically, we have three different spaces. You can see them closer to the front here. One onto my left, your right, one here in the middle, one here on my right-hand side, your left-hand side. If you want to be prayed for and you haven't brought anybody with you that's ever prayed for you before, maybe you're here by yourself, or maybe you've been praying and you're like, man, I, I just need breakthrough. I need other people to join me in prayer. We're going to have an opportunity to pray for you in, this, in these spaces. So your prayer teams are going to be a combination of your pastoral staff and your local board of administration members. And what we're going to do is we're going to just ask you what it is that you want Jesus to do today. And we're going to partner with you in that prayer. Some of you are going like, mm, I ain't not walking to the front. That's 100% up to you. Even in the quietness of the space that you happen to be in right now, you can still pray. You can still pray and ask God. And some of you know you are with people that have heavy, deep burdens. And you've brought them into this space. And you've invited them to join you. And you know you need to pray for them. Ask their permission if you could pray, and then pray. Some of you are with somebody, and they do not yet know that you have a burden or a pain or something that you're struggling with, and you want them to pray for you. Guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to let them know. We're not mind readers, but we're willing participants in what God wants to do in your life and through your life. Prayer is a bridge-building moment between you and God and one another. Maybe it's your family unit, your small group, or your extended broader family that we call the Sea Road family. Even if you are brand new here, you are worthy of being prayed for and prayed with. Online, you're going to be like, well, what do we do? We can't even walk to the front. What do I do? Do I walk closer to my screen? You could do that if you want to. Or in your chat of choice on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can write in your prayer request. We've got somebody monitoring that online chat right now. And then what we will do throughout this next week as a staff and as a board is we will pray specifically for you, for your request. It is a privilege to pray. Our enemy, his tactics are cheap. Kill, steal, destroy. Let's not let him win anymore. Let's not let him win anymore. Let's instead embrace forgiveness, rejecting bitterness, and have a little perspective, knowing that we're not alone in our struggle. So in these next few moments, as you are led by Jesus, will you join me as we pray? right here, right now. For the prayer teams that are here today, I just want to invite you to come forward at this time. I'm going to pray for us collectively, and then the next few moments are entirely up to how you are responding to the invitation of the Lord to be prayed for and prayed with through whatever struggle you may be facing in this moment. Let's pray. Father, I'm ever so grateful ever so grateful that we do not have to be alone. Loneliness is a choice that we make. 
Isolation is a choice that we make. It's a choice that seems fitting at times. It's a choice that seems attractive at times, but it is only a choice that leads to chaos, isolation, destruction, and so much other stuff. Instead, Jesus, here today, we want to be known as bridge builders, people rooted and steeped in forgiveness, people who are willing to enter into tough spaces with one another. Over these next few moments, whether we're online or in person, I just ask, Father, that they be sacred moments and spaces. That we would be reminded that Jesus is in control of all things, even the things that terrify us at night. Those things Jesus has control over. Jesus will grant us victory over. And victory might be a long, drawn-out battle, or it might be an instantaneous moment of relief. Whatever it is, Father, we know and we trust you. Because what you have in mind for us is always good always pleasing and it's always perfect not in our eyes but in yours so over these next few moments holy spirit would you guide would you comfort would you give courage for us to respond and jesus would this be a tipping point for us as a church as individuals as a community this moment forward we say no more victory for our enemy None, zero, zilch, nada, not a shred, no more, because we're willing to forgive, we're willing to reject bitterness, we're willing to have the perspective that we are not alone in our pain. Father, would you bless us, protect us, make your face shine upon us, be gracious to us, grant us your favor and your peace. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.